And that, my friends, is how America was made great once again. Breaking at this hour, Jimmy Sangenberger is currently at the crossroads of politics and economics. Radio broadcaster master, now the celeb on the web. He's the smarty of the party. He's in cahoots with the grassroots. Jimmy at the Crossroads brings you thought-provoking commentary, hard-hitting interviews, original satire, and the best bumper music known to man. Jimmy at the Crossroads! Gonna talk money, gonna talk politics. We're for all generations. Oh, what a great mix, I said. Gonna talk money, gonna talk politics. Grateful all generations. Oh, what a great mix. I got Jimmy and the Crossroads making sense out of nonsense. People want answers. They want to understand. Come to the crossroads and Jimmy gives them the plan. I said, gonna talk money, gonna talk politics. Great for all generations. Oh, what a great mix. I got Jimmy at the crossroads, making sense out of nonsense. Come on, Jimmy, what you got? Hello, my friends, and welcome to another edition of Jimmy at the Crossroads. I'm your host, Jimmy Sangenberger, coming to you live today, once again, from beautiful Denver, Colorado. Thanks so much for joining us, being a part of the program that makes sense out of nonsense, day in and day out, bringing you engaging, intelligent talk, Sang style, in partnership with the Washington Examiner. So great to be with you. Lots to talk about. I am excited about today's show. In the next segment, we will be joined to kick things off by Anthony Leonardi, breaking news reporter at the Washington Examiner, our partners once again here on Jimmy at the Crossroads. Looking forward to talking with him about some optimistic stories in the midst of the coronavirus crisis, plus politics and more. We've had him on a couple of times already on Jimmy at the Crossroads, and he does a very fine job. Looking forward to talking with Anthony Leonardi once again. Then I am pleased to welcome the Strategic Communications Director for the Trump 2020 re-election campaign, Mark Lauder, will join us on the show. He's also former Special Assistant to the President and former Press Secretary for Vice President Mike Pence, looking forward to talking with Mark about some of the political goings-ons because the 2020 presidential campaign continues even despite what we're seeing across the country with this pandemic. Then we will be joined by my friend Woody Vincent, who is a veteran stock trader for more than three decades. He also, like me, is a former host of a show called Business for Breakfast on the radio here in Denver and Colorado. Looking forward to talking with Woody about what's happening in the markets because there's so much going on. We're in the red again today. And I got to say, it is important to keep in mind that the ebb and flow of the markets is a thing. It's just, it happens. And we need to be smart if you're an investor on how you act in response to headlines, news, so on and so forth. But in our first moments of the show, I want to bring you up to speed on what's happening as far as the coronavirus pandemic and response policy. Yesterday, there was a press conference, as usual, headed up by President Donald Trump. And in cut one here, we hear President Trump express that we are in for a very tough couple of weeks ahead as we hopefully will reach the peak during what they're now calling 30 days to slow the spread. So let's take a listen to and watch cut one with President Trump yesterday at his press conference. I want every American to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead. We're going to go through a very tough two weeks. And then hopefully, as the experts are predicting, as I think a lot of us are predicting after having studied it so hard, 
you're going to start seeing some real light at the end of the tunnel. But this is going to be a very painful, very, very painful two weeks. When you look and see at night the kind of death that's been caused by this invisible enemy, it's, it's incredible. I was watching last night Governor Murphy of New Jersey say 29 people died today, meaning yesterday, and others talking about numbers far greater. But you get to know a state. I know New Jersey so well, and you hear 29 people and uh, hundreds in other locations, hundreds in other states. And this is going to be a rough two-week period. As a nation, we face a difficult few weeks as we approach that, that really important day when we're going to see things get better all of a sudden. And it's going to be like a burst of light, I really think and I hope. Our strength will be tested and our endurance will be tried. But America will answer with love and courage and ironclad resolve. This is the time for all Americans to come together and do our part. A very sobering message from President Trump, speaking very potently, I would add. I think his word choice there was right. Exactly what he needed for that moment. A reminder of where we are as a country, the challenges that are going on, as well as what is to come. And how he's still optimistic, despite all these challenges. Let's go ahead with cut two. Dr. Fauci, mitigation is actually working. This is Dr. Fauci yesterday at the press conference. In the next several days to a week or so, we're going to continue to see things go up. We cannot be discouraged by that because the mitigation is actually working and will work. The slide that Dr. Burke showed where you saw New York and New Jersey and then the cluster of other areas, our goal which I believe we can accomplish, is to get the hotspot places, the New Yorks, the New Jersey, and help them to get around that curve. But as importantly, to prevent those clusters of areas that have not yet gone to that spike, to prevent them from getting that spike. And the answer to that is mitigation. Now, the 15 days that we had of mitigation clearly have had an effect, although it's tough to quantitate it because of those two opposing forces. But the reason why we feel so strongly about the necessity of the additional 30 days is that now is the time, whenever you're having an effect, not to take your foot off the accelerator and on the brake, but to just press it down on the accelerator. And that's what I hope and I know that we can do over the next 30 days. So we just heard President Trump talk about two weeks, a very tough two weeks up ahead, and then we've got 30 days to slow the spread. That's what the administration is talking about now. I want to play one more clip before we go to our break, and that would be cut three, which is Doctors Birch, uh, Burks and Fauci pushing back against Jim Acosta asking of why we haven't gone ahead sooner. Actually, you know what, let's hold that for Mark Lauder, Nathan, and run to our first video break of the day, and then we will be back with our first guest of the day, Anthony Leonardi, right here on Jimmy at the Crossroads. And we've got a lot coming up. So once again, we've got Mark Lauder, followed by Woody Vincent, but first, Anthony Leonardi of the Washington Examiner. Keep it right here on Jimmy at the Crossroads. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Gentlemen, back to your host, Mr. Jimmy Sagenberger. Thank you, Nathan Matus. Working the Matus magic today, powering through occasional technical issues, but that's what we do here on Jimmy at the Crossroads, engaging intelligent talk, same style. Thanks for joining us, being a part of the program. Once again, I am Jimmy Sagenberger. Great to be with you today. On this April Fool's Day, Wednesday, April 1st, 
in partnership with the Washington Examiner, bringing you engaging, intelligent talk, saying style, and having a great time doing it. Let's go right to our first guest of the day. He is breaking news reporter extraordinaire at the Washington Examiner, of course, our partner publication here on Jimmy at the Crossroads, and has already become a good friend of the show. Anthony Leonardi joins us once again. Anthony, hello, my friend. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Jimmy. Thanks again for having me. It's good to have you here, especially because we have some optimistic news to talk about. A couple of stories we'll get to in a bit that you've published in the Washington Examiner amidst what we've seen with coronavirus. But first, bring us up to speed on where we're at as far as this virus and its spread. And what the Trump administration was saying yesterday, we played a couple of clips earlier from their press conference. But what are you catching notice of most right now? Well, since last time we talked, unfortunately, America has taken uh, first place, essentially, in the confirmed cases of COVID-19. Uh, so we, we've seen growth of the infection rates, uh, and we've also seen President Trump roll back his desired Easter deadline about when he hopes that American workers can resume their jobs and that normal economic activity can begin to you know, uh, normalize. So we've seen Congress then uh, pass a $2 trillion, $2.2 trillion uh, relief bill, which the president has signed. And, you know, they, the Congress plans to continue going forward with more uh, relief bills uh, in a $6 trillion total package uh, for this uh, economic relief. Um, you know, uh, the people that are speculating on the economic level say that we're headed for a rough time in this first quarter. Um, and, and as you know, the, the, the spread of uh, COVID-19 has continued uh, up to up to 800,000 uh, people uh, confirmed. And so but but there are a vast amount of people that are recovering. Uh, just yesterday, by uh, day's end, there was uh, 6,000 people who had re uh, recovered in the United States. So there are a lot of recoveries uh, taking place as along with these statistics that you see uh, growing uh, globally and in the United States. But unfortunately, the situation has worsened. We uh, do expect, as the president has said, uh, the White House task force has said, uh, health officials have also echoed the sentiment that we are expecting for the next two to three weeks to be quite a rough uptick in the amount of cases. Anthony Leonardi, when we look at the politics of all this, I mean, you just mentioned $6 trillion package was approved, and now they're already talking about a phase four bill. What is there any indication as to what they might want to include at this point in a phase four and how many trillions of dollars that could potentially cost the country? Well, we do know what President Trump hopes is in the bill, and he tweeted this just yesterday. He hopes that there is a, a massive uh, in infrastructure investment program in the uh, phase four bill, which would he hopes be $2 trillion worth of invest investments himself. And he hopes that, you know, there can be federal employment through programs. And the, you know, you've seen some commentators uh, allude to FDR uh, during this time about his approach to oh, yeah. allow Americans to be uh, employed. And, and that, uh, you know, parallel has not been more uh, real than in this comparison. Uh, so we do know that, you know, the president is pushing Congress, which has been hesitant. He's, he's, he's made that a central issue infrastructure his entire campaign. And early on in his uh, presidency, where he repeatedly said we need an infrastructure investment bill um, in, uh, in all his State of the Unions, with the exception of 2020. So there is a goal from the president to include a massive investment into infrastructure. And, uh, you know, we'll see going forward what kind of relief programs Congress is going to afford uh, small businesses, if there's going to be any addendum, uh, individual checks being dispersed, or uh, corporate uh, bailouts, so to speak. Let's play cut three here. This is Drs. Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci yesterday pushing back against a question from Jim Acosta of CNN arguing about, in essence, why the Trump administration didn't get on this any sooner. Take a listen again. This is from yesterday's press conference. I understand the, the painful part of my question, and, and please, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, we understand, but, but, but we can't answer it. Yeah. If we had that. started this sooner, we might not have 100,000 to 200,000 Americans dying. Well, that makes an assumption that it was here. A lot, there was a lot back here that we didn't see. Um, and until we had the antibody test, I can't really answer that. Uh, just to underscore what, what Dr. Burks was saying, if there was no virus in the background, there was nothing to mitigate. If there was virus there that we didn't know about, then the answer to your question is probably yes. Now, the only trouble with that is that whenever you come out 
and say something like that, it always becomes almost a soundbite that gets taken out of context. But I think that's very important what Dr. Burks has said, is that if there was covert infections here that we didn't know about and we didn't mitigate then, then they would have made a difference. If there was virtually nothing there, then there's nothing to mitigate. And I, I don't know the answer but to your question. But we were watching uh, yeah. South Korea, excuse me, in China and Italy, and we weren't taking right. action right. when those countries yeah. were right. spiking. Sure. In a perfect world, it would have been nice to know what was going on there. We didn't, but I believe, Jim, that we, we acted very, very early in that. If we had adequate testing, would we have known? I want to turn now to Jim McConnell. All right, so that a little bit from yesterday's press conference with Dr. Fauci. What do you make of the, the way in which the media has been presenting this? We're hearing a lot of talk of what happened before, and then Dr. Fauci rebutting and saying, look, we did everything we could. And he's talked about, for example, the fact that in China, uh, when it comes to China, the president, Donald Trump, had said, we're not going to allow any travel into America from China pretty early on, for which he was excoriated by many of his critics. But media outlets keep harping on this, it seems. Oh, I mean, uh, you know, Jim Acosta is playing his typical role as the adversary to the president in the White House press room. Um, you know, you've seen Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Deborah, Dr. Deborah Burks have to dispel some of these studies that have fueled a particular narrative. And uh, just yesterday during the White House press conference, Dr. Anthony Fauci had to address a, a study that was released that suggested that, you know, a person sneezing uh, could uh, transfer COVID-19 up to 27 feet. And he said, this is wildly misleading and this has become a talking point uh, for a political narrative. And he basically said that, you know, it would require somebody to have a robust, uh, loud and forceful sneeze that would require no, you know, hindrance of, of a person's face, not a normal sneeze to transfer the virus. So he still said six feet and social distancing is a necessary guideline to adhere to. We don't need to adhere to some 27 feet long social distancing guideline. So we think that, you know, you have seen confrontations in amongst Jim Acosta and others uh, in the White House press pool. But but most for the most of the uh, of the questions being addressed, President Trump, Mike Pence, the White House task force have have fairly answered the questions, have acknowledged where the points are valid and where they seem to be motivated by a particular uh, narrative. And, and, you know, they, we've gotten a lot of good information out of them uh, nonetheless. Again, Anthony Leonardi, our guest, joining us here on Jimmy at the Crossroads, breaking news reporter at the Washington Examiner. Let's talk about a couple of positive and uplifting stories that you've got right now, Anthony. One of them, I always love the innovation of young people, college students creating a website in order to help people find toilet paper amidst this pandemic. Of course, it's been one of the big challenges for people across the country to just find toilet paper. What are these innovative college students doing while they are probably, I'm assuming, away from school? Yes, they are. And there are two University of Texas students who decided to apply themselves to create a website called instock.org which essentially allows, it's a data, uh, data aggregation site, which monitors the inventory of large companies, such as uh, CVS, Target, Walgreens, and uh, keeps track of their inventory so that when somebody visits their website, they can enter in their zip code and they'll be directed to a, web, uh, to a store with the item they desire closest to them. So they're, they, you know, in the story, they, they spoke to, you know, uh, to, to others that said that they had to go to seven to eight stores to find a product they desired and sometimes didn't even find it. And so they hope to alleviate some of those, you know, consumer concerns uh, by having a website where it's streamlined by allowing people to know where they're going to be more direct and uh, to, um, you know, allow people to not to bulk so that it's not available to others um, present in their communities who are having uh, increasingly uh, stringent stay-at-home orders so that they can get their essential products. So it's a fascinating story of ingenuity from uh, college students at the University of Texas. And one more time, what's the website for those watching who might want to check it out? Instock.org. I think that's fantastic, instock.org. I love when people look at a crisis, especially someone who's in college and they're thinking, is what can I do to help those who were in need? And that's exactly what we're seeing here. And it's also so encouraging, Anthony Leonardi from the Washington Examiner, when we see people survive the coronavirus, manage to beat it. There is one gentleman who is a World War II veteran 
who survived the foxholes of Guam, and he managed to also beat back against this pandemic. Tell us this story. Yes, so it was a story that was posted by his granddaughter on social media and then picked up um, and, be, and became a national thing from the New York Post. We did a story on it at the Washington Examiner, and it was fascinating how he was, a, you know, he's a 95-year-old World War II veteran, and he also lived during the Great Depression. So he, uh, the, his family noticed that he was developing symptoms of COVID-19 in mid-March, and he started to develop a low-grade fever on March 15th. And so he, two days later, was tested to see if, uh, you know, what he was, you know, uh, contracting. And it, in fact, was COVID-19. So uh, he had mild symptoms, according to uh, his granddaughter, and had to be quarantined away from the rest of the family so that they would limit the spread. Um, but, but he was recovered, no problem. And he said during their own, uh, during the granddaughter's Facebook post that, you know, he lived through Guam, he can live through this BS, in his words. <laughs> so, and, and uh, his granddaughter had asked him if there were any uh, words of wisdom that he could uh, provide to other people who are, you know, concerned about the pandemic, whether it be financially, whether it be in terms of the uh, health emergency. And uh, he just, he actually gave a, a, a uplifting positive message of just be thankful for all the things that you have right now. Be thankful for the family and for the time that you have, uh, you know, because it's, it's, it's a temporary thing. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that is a sober, poignant reminder about to treasure uh, what we have and who we have with us today. Yeah, I have a dear friend who fought in the Battle of the Bulge, and he passed away last September, Mort Marks. And I could see him, if he were alive today and beat back coronavirus, saying, I survived the Battle of the Bulge. I can get through this coronavirus BS. Mm -hmm. I got to love that from our veterans who are going through yet another crisis in their lifetimes and now, in many cases, in their mid to late 90s. A final question for you, Anthony Leonardi. Please bring us up to speed on the virtual campaign that we're seeing happen right now. Joe Biden starting a podcast called Here's the Deal and doing more interviews after seemingly being in hiding for a while. Bernie Sanders now post coronavirus stimulus bill passed last Friday, is back out there in interviews, still saying he's running for president of the United States. So what are we seeing on this campaign trail? Well, you're seeing uh, two candidates for the Democratic nomination trying to get more uh, media press while there's a pandemic, because they really want to elevate what their campaign's uh, promises and solutions are for the uh, pandemic and for the economic crisis. And you saw uh, you know, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders oppose the recent congressional relief bill uh, on the grounds that it didn't embolden workers enough. So he actually was an ardent opposition of it. You saw this with the same, uh, the same opposition to uh, New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And uh, they, they have been tr uh, attempted to be outspoken in terms of some of these uh, relief bills and other significant events going forward during the you know coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we also so, saw uh, Vice President Joe Biden say that he doesn't anticipate the uh, Democratic convention to proceed as forward in July. He thinks that it's going to have to be extended. And all this follows the fact that you've seen uh, people such as Tucker Carlson claim that he has people inside the Biden campaign who are not uh, confident that he'll be able to last until the election. Uh, the general election in November, and he, uh, you know, are, he, he is estimating that the Democratic Party may not even nominate uh, Joe Biden come uh, the election 2020. He speculates that somebody like uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo may be a particular, particularly favored by the Democratic Party, which would imply that we have, we, we'll be seeing a convention that we haven't seen since 1968 with Hubert Humphrey, when you saw populist leftists create vast disorder with the Democratic. Uh, party, but fortunately for the party, they had a substan substantive control. So, if what you see going forward is altered or tailored, a tailored nominating process coming from the Democratic Party, whereby Demo uh, Joe Biden does not receive the nomination as he has the most delegates presently, then we'll have to reevaluate our, our history since the 1920s was when we had primaries going forward during the progressive era. And before that, it was the parties that were choosing their uh, nominees for president. So uh, voters need to be on the lookout for things going forward, reforms going forward, um, that, that change the dynamic of the primary process as we know it. But as of now, it's postponed. State primaries are being postponed by their governors. And uh, the major Democratic candidates speculate that the convention will be postponed as well. Fascinating times in which we live from a political history standpoint. 
Anthony Leonardi, breaking news reporter at the Washington Examiner. Always great to check in with you, sir. Thanks for joining us on Jimmy at the Crossroads. Yes, thank you again for having me. Stay Once healthy. Again. Yeah, you as well. You as well. Stay healthy. Stay well. Again, Anthony Leonardi joining us. Check out his writing for and reporting for the Washington Examiner. We're going to take a break here. On the other side, we will be joined by none other than Mark Lauder, Strategic Communications Director for the Trump 2020 campaign. And I have to tell you that it is a fascinating time from a general election standpoint, too. I mean, while the Democrats technically still have a primary going on, although it's basically sewed up for Joe Biden, the Republicans have their nominee. It's President Donald Trump. And so how's the campaign going? What are some of the dynamics that are at play from the Trump 2020 campaign standpoint? We will be joined by Mark Lauder to talk about that and more. Coming up next on Jimmy at the Crossroads, I'm Jimmy Sangenberger coming to you in partnership with the Washington Examiner. Hello. Oh, very nice. What, the logo? What president is on the $100 bill? You think I have $100 bills? Here's a trigger all. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome back Sang Style. Your host, Mr. Jimmy Sangenberger. Welcome back to Jimmy at the Crossroads. I am Jimmy Sangenberger. Having fun, the first unveiling of the new Magatol video break. Welcome back. Good to be with you here on Jimmy at the Crossroads in partnership with the Washington Examiner. We're having so much fun as always, and I am Jimmy Sangenberger. Pleased to be joined here on Jimmy at the Crossroads for the first time by Mark Lauder, who is Strategic Communications Director for the Trump 2020 campaign, and he joins us now here on Jimmy at the Crossroads. Mark, sir, welcome to the program. It is good to have you here. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing well, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Did you enjoy that little video? <laughs> I did. <laughs> we try to have some fun here on Jimmy at the Crossroads. So I want to ask you just a, a broad question. How do you think President Trump is handling this crisis right now, particularly in terms of flattening the curve and slowing the spread, now embarking on 30 days to slow the spread after the initial 15 days. I think he's showing the leadership that the American people uh, put him in the White House to, to provide. Uh, he is bringing not only the power of government together, but he's also partnering with the private sector, working with our governors to make sure that we have the needed supplies, equipment, and, and expertise uh, on the ground where we need it. And uh, it's going to be a very difficult few weeks. The president was honest with the American people last night in that epic news conference that went over two hours. Uh, but he also provided some harsh truth to the American people that this is going to be a very difficult situation. But we need to continue to do those basic steps that they have outlined uh, for the next 30 days. And it, we have to do our part uh, to help conf uh, confront this enemy. So, Mark Lauder, I want to play cut four here. This is Don Lemon last night, where he blasts Trump's press briefings, saying they're the new rallies. So we have a little bit of video issue here, so please bear with that. But uh, we'll still play the clip here, and uh, you can hear it fine. And I have said I don't think that you should really listen to what he says. You should listen to what? The experts say. I'm not actually sure, if you want to be honest, that we should carry that live. I think we should run snippets. I think we should do it afterwards and get the pertinent points to the American people because he's never, ever going to tell you the truth. And guess what he's going to do? If you ask a question that is a legitimate question, he, and if he doesn't like the question, he is going to say whether, it's, whether you're being mean or not or whatever he wants to call it, he's going to say that is a mean, nasty question. Why? Because he wants his base to think that the media is being mean to him and they're attacking him. It is all, all right, a plot. Nathan, I think it we got, I think we got the picture. We can come back here. Uh, Mark Lauder, what do you make of that? We shouldn't carry, so speaking as CNN for a moment, we shouldn't carry the press briefings of the president of the United States on a pandemic that is costing now thousands of American lives because it's the new rally for President Trump. 
Uh, let me let me make this absolutely clear. I trained as a journalist. I spent the first dozen or so years of my life after college as a journalist. And even though I am not one any longer, I say this uh, with a heavy heart that this is journalistic malpractice. And it is disgraceful. It is showing that uh, this that Don Lemon is no journalist. CNN in prime time is not an outlet of journalism. It's an outlet of opinion. And uh, for for a organization that wants to call itself a news organization to not take the briefings and the updates provided by the president of the United States, even if you don't like him, even if you didn't listen to him or vote for him, he is providing critical information to the American people. Last night, he talked about how 100 to 220 or so thousand Americans might die because of this and what we need to do. And Lemon can't put aside his Trump derangement syndrome to do his job as a journalist. And CNN uh, should, they should really rethink what they're in the business of doing or just become the entertainment network because that's not, that's all they're providing right now. Yeah, I, I just, I think that there's so much truth to what you said because when we're, especially when we're talking right now, when people are deeply concerned. Say what you will about how President Trump was speaking before in terms of some of the more optimistic language. Last night, he was very sobering in explaining the reality and saying the next two weeks are going to be very tough. And then, of course, you have his doctors getting out there, Dr. Deborah Burks and Dr. Anthony Fauci, saying this is what's needed to be done, and here's how we're going about it, answering any question that the media was presenting to them very fluently and with the facts and data to back it up. And that is exactly the kind of thing that the media should be emphasizing. This is what we're getting as opposed to, oh, we shouldn't carry these live because it's a MAGA rally, basically. Well, and let's be honest here, too. And Dr. Burks has said this, you know, the thinking at the beginning of this outbreak was that we were dealing with another H1N1 type of virus based on misinformation, lack of data coming out of China. And that was the thinking among many medical professionals was that we were not looking at something like what we are facing now. So obviously, as we continue to get more information, the president provides that information, but he also makes the decisions that are right for our country based on the current data at hand. And this is no different than the many times that the New York Times and many other mainstream outlets were talking about this, much like they were the flu or some of the other more recent outbreaks that we have had that have not been nearly as catastrophic as this one looks like it could be. But what we saw last night was the President of the United States for more than two hours along with Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, Vice President Pence, and others, providing the key information we need to stop the spread of this violence. And the fact that CNN is even having these discussions uh, is, is disgraceful. And at some point, they ought to take news out of their name, at least in prime time, and just list themselves as entertainment, e-entertainment television. Because if all they're going to do is provide commentary and no actual news, then that's what they have become. Again, we're talking with Mark Lauder, Strategic Communications Director for the Trump 2020 campaign. I want to go to Cut 7. This is from Sunday. I know you've seen this clip before, but it was stunning. Since we're on the subject of the media and how they're handling this, this is Chuck Todd questioning Joe Biden on whether or not President Trump has blood on his hands. You know, your campaign put out your, in a critique of, of President Trump and says if he doesn't do these things, you know, he could, he could cost lives. Do you think there's already, do you think there is blood on the president's hands considering the slow response? Or is that too, too harsh of a criticism? I think that's a little too harsh. I think what's happening is the failure to, as I watched uh, a prelim to your show where someone said that, uh, made, made the phrase, used the phrase that uh, the president just thinks out loud. He should stop thinking out loud and start thinking deeply. He should start listening to the scientists before he speaks. He should listen to the health experts. Well, Mark Lauder, first of all, I think that President Trump is doing exactly what Joe Biden's described yesterday was an example of that. But I do have to give Biden credit for saying, yeah, I think that's too harsh. Probably he should have said that's ludicrous, Chuck Todd. But again, the media trying to paint this particular narrative, what do you make of it? 
Well, it's something that we have seen over and over again. I mean, this is these are the these are the same mainstream media outlets for three and a half years convinced us of Russian collusion, which was a hoax, the Ukraine scandal, which turned out to be a hoax, all of these things. Uh, every day, the mainstream media wakes up and thinks today is the day they get President Trump. Every day he shows that they're wrong. They're the ones that end up with egg on their face. And, and to your other point, you know, every time Joe Biden speaks, uh, whether it's from notes, and by the way, I'm not using any notes. Uh, so uh, unlike Joe Biden, he just shows us that he's coming up with ideas that have already been done, things that the president has already done. In fact, you heard Dr. Fauci saying that the president listens to his advice. The same goes true with Dr. Burks. And uh, it, it's sad that what we have coming from Joe Biden, you know, he can't do an interview, even a softball interview without having to refer to his notes, is come up with things that the president has already done and shown leadership in doing. I don't understand it, Mark Lauder. I know that President Trump was the man who said we're not going to allow more people to come in from China. He put the travel ban from China, which was maligned by Democrats and folks in the media. But here you've got Nancy Pelosi saying that President Trump has no respect for science, which is a constant theme of the Democrats when they're talking about Republicans, for example, right from the start. So what what is your impression that you get from the Speaker of the House of Representatives in the pandemic using language like this? I mean, the speaker is but clowning herself once again, because let's not forget that this is the same speaker of the House who delayed the phase three uh, relief package, which provided which will provide money into the paycheck, into the pockets of the American people through direct payment, providing extended unemployment benefits, providing businesses and small businesses loans to keep people on their payroll. And she held it up for more than a week, trying to put Green New Deal uh, policies into this, trying to put labor union policies into this. I mean, these were, this was a liberal wish list dream. And so for her to stand up and to accuse the president of not acting quickly enough when she was focused on impeachment in January and February and then held up this relief package for nothing more than liberal politics, it, it, it's just a shame. Of course, the mainstream media will let her get away with it. Uh, but we as conservatives and this campaign, we will not. I have some criticisms of how the president handled things earlier on, but in terms of some of the language that he was selecting at times. But as the data came out more and more, he was expressing the seriousness. And now we saw what happened in yesterday's press conference. And that's important to recognize. She won't acknowledge that. A final question for you before we let you go, Mark Lauder, Strategic Communications Director for the Trump 2020 reelection campaign. We're now in a virtual campaign season. Joe Biden's got his podcast, Here's the Deal, that he's put out there. And of course, it's really just the digital medium because he can't hold rallies and so forth. Tell us what the Trump campaign is doing to get the message out. Well, we're doing what we've always done. And we have such a huge advantage in terms of data and digital operations. It's something that we have built upon from that winning strategy of 2016. It's even gotten more robust as we head into 2020. We have the ability to not only communicate with tens of millions of supporters through text message, through Facebook, through Twitter, social media. Let's not forget that the president's social media platform has more people connected to it than watch the Super Bowl every year. So we'll, we've done digital uh, town halls and digital events. In fact, one just the other night had nearly a million people watching Laura Trump, Kaylee McEnany, our national press secretary. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden, his his podcast gets ten, you know, thousands of people, you know, a few thousand people. Uh, we get nearly a million. So we've still got the ability to get the message out there, and we are definitely going to use it. Interesting times in which we live from a campaign historical Standpoint. Mark Lauder with the Trump 2020 campaign. Always great to talk with you, sir. Thanks for joining us today. Good to talk to you, Jimmy. Once again, Mark Lauder is Strategic Communications Director at the Trump 2020 reelection campaign. Here on Jimmy at the Crossroads, I want to piggyback on that discussion. Because when we're hearing Nancy Pelosi say, well, the president didn't follow through with the science. This is something that we're constantly hearing, not just about Republicans, but about conservatives widely, broadly. And that is that consistently folks in the media and the Democrats are always saying they don't follow the science. They're not listening to science. That is a constant trope that is thrown at people on the right. And I understand 
the point of, oh, you have people who are very skeptical of global warming, climate change, that sort of thing that provides some of the justification in their minds for making these claims. But even if that is the case, you cannot just blanket say that somehow Democrats have a monopoly on science because that's nonsensical, it's false, it's not true in any way, shape, or form. And it is something that needs to be refuted. And of course, Nancy Pelosi won't give credit to President Trump for his handling of this, even at this point, even as of yesterday. I mean, here's the biggest thing. We need to see some aspects of unity in Washington, D.C., not just in terms of passing a stimulus package, relief bill, whatever you want to call it, that's trillions of dollars. And in many respects, it's not a very good piece of legislation. We've talked about that here on this show. I'm not a fan of the $6 trillion total bill that the Congress passed last week and President Trump signed into law. But when Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, is in the middle of an interview, she shouldn't be being political. Now, that's not to say that President Trump hasn't been political in some regards. I get that, some of the language that he's used. But Nancy Pelosi is going well beyond anything that President Trump can be criticized for as far as politicization in the midst of this crisis. And I think we need to see the Speaker of the House the leader of the people's house at least talk positively about the mitigation steps that the Trump administration has been taking. It is crucial to keep that in mind. In fact, I want to just emphasize that yesterday's press conference was dominated more not by President Trump, not by Vice President Pence, but even more in terms of answering questions on the data and what's going on for mitigation efforts by Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks. That's exactly as it should be. It's exactly as it is. And yesterday we saw a very sober President Trump presenting the facts and data to the American people exactly as he needed to. And we should be able to rally together as a people. You know, that uh, the media has been blasting President Trump for having Mike Lindell, the founder and CEO of MyPillow, at his press conference on Monday, where Lindell got out there and in part he talked a little bit about his faith and so forth. Well, this is a guy whose company, through its own free will, has decided to start making thousands, tens of thousands of face masks instead of pillows. And instead, the My Pillow guy gets pilloried by the media for coming out there, being a part of this press conference, talking about President Trump in positive terms, and also bringing in faith. They couldn't even acknowledge that Mike Lindell of My Pillow was saying, We are producing tens of thousands of much needed masks beginning this week, I think he said for those who are in need across the country. And now the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, is even debating the idea, it's reported, that every American should be encouraged to get and wear a mask, which doesn't jive with what the administration folks have been saying or the media have been saying for the past month about masks. If this is the case, though, the CDC may come out publicly and say, hey, every American, we encourage you to wear a mask. If that's the case, we need a lot more masks. And the fact that Mike Lindell and my pillow are getting out there and producing masks now instead of pillows should be something they should praise. Instead, you have Nancy Pelosi and others saying, well, you know, the, the Defense Production Act, needs to be implemented more by President Trump. In fact, Joe Biden yesterday, this is cut six before we wrap up and run to our break here. Joe Biden yesterday was touting in cut six how the Trump administration, President Trump in particular, is not invoking the Defense Production Act nearly enough, even though he just did it on Friday. And as we talked about with Elizabeth Wright of Citizens Against Government Waste yesterday here on Jimmy at the Crossroads, the Trump administration, President Trump in particular, should not be even moving forward one bit, one iota, with the Defense Production Act, especially because it's unnecessary. But here's Joe Biden, Democrat nominee in waiting yesterday on CNN. 
and been very slow to act on a whole range of things. For example, he still hasn't fully invoked the Defense Production Act, which I called for a while ago. He finally did with General Motors after a little roundabout in terms of building ventilators. What about the masks? What about those gowns that those nurses and doctors need? They're made of paper. What, what, about, what about the goggles they need, the, 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 the face shields? What about the gloves they need? He can do that by the Defense Production Act right now. He could have done it yesterday, a week ago, three weeks ago, five weeks ago. They're in short supply. And our first responders are literally risking and some losing their lives to try to help the American people. What is it about Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, that they have to say, we need the federal government to effectively, for the time being at least, nationalize these companies, like President Trump already did, wrongfully in my view, on Friday with the Defense Production Act vis-a-vis -vis GM. When you have companies that are stepping up like MyPillow, and then when a company like MyPillow steps up and takes initiative, instead they focus, as we mentioned before, on blasting the CEO for how he talked at the press conference where he discussed what his company is doing to help provide face masks. We don't need the Defense Production Act, and we need the media and the politicians to highlight those companies that are stepping up of their own accord, like, by the way, General Motors was already doing with Ventec, which makes ventilators. It, is, it fits in with the theme we talked about with Mark Lauder a few minutes ago where the media constantly deriding President Trump in the middle of this crisis. He's not handled this perfectly. There are definitely things to be critical of, but they're like 99% critical of President Trump on this issue in particular. I mean, everything, but especially this issue. And that, my friends, is very striking. And Joe Biden continues consistently to be touting the idea of invoking the Defense Production Act, time after time after time. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You are watching Jimmy at the Crossroads in partnership with the Washington Examiner. We're going to take a video break, and then when we come back, we will talk with Woody Vincent, who has been a professional stock trader for about 30 years. He is a veteran stock trader and also former host of a show I also hosted in Colorado, radio show, though ours were very different, called Business for Breakfast. So keep it right here. You're watching Jimmy at the Crossroads in partnership with the Washington Examiner. Ladies and gentlemen, for our final segment of this one, it's Jimmy Sagenberger at the Crossroads. Rolling along, Jimmy Sagenberger here with you. Jimmy at the Crossroads in partnership with the Washington Examiner. Thanks for joining us. By the way, if you want to tweet at me, you can to connect 24-7-365. I'm at Sang Center on Twitter. Let's show that lower third. Nathan Matouche, working the Matouche magic as our producer extraordinaire. You can see it right there. Saying with an E, not an A, center on Twitter. You can also email me on my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Remember, there's no A, there's no I, there's no U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time, once you know that. Sangenberger is easy. And you can also find details on all the different places to watch the show, jimmyatthecrossroads.com, and check out our friends at washingtonexaminer.com. If you haven't done so already as well, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Jimmy at the Crossroads, and like us on Facebook, specifically the Jimmy Sangenberger Media Personality Facebook page. Both of those locations are where you can watch the live stream. So... Yesterday, the first quarter of 2020 wrapped up, and after we had had a long bull market run, stocks suffered the worst that they have since 2008. And for the first quarter in particular, the S&P 500 stocks suffered their worst quarter since 2008. What are we to make of it all? What should we be looking at and keeping in mind? For answers, I'm excited to turn to, for the very first time here on Jimmy at the Crossroads, Woody Vincent. Woody is a veteran stock trader for the past three 
plus decades. He's also, like me, former host of a show called Business for Breakfast. It was a radio program in Colorado that had a few different incarnations. I was the most recent one until mid-late last year, actually. And also, he is the author of the book, What's in a Name? Woody Vincent, stock guru extraordinaire, joins us on this Wednesday, April 1st. Sir, good to talk with you. Welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you, Jimmy. Great to be here with you. I appreciate you taking the time, especially because, look, the stock market has been topsy-turvy. Now, once again, we're down almost 1,000 points as of this broadcast on the Dow. What are you noticing is happening right about now? What's your assessment of the first quarter? Well, uh, I wish I could uh, uh, offer some, uh, some sanguine advice to, to you. Uh, I just noticed that everybody is selling. I mean, and there's, there's really no place to hide right now. I was looking at the S&P 500. There's 502 stocks for some reason in the S&P 500. 21 of them are higher. And they are all kind of the uh, the places where you would expect them to be higher right now. I mean, uh, Kroger is uh, is actually leading the list up a couple of percentage points. Target is up there. Uh, I didn't see Walmart, but I'm sure it's up in there. Dollar General, uh, ConAgra. So anything, Clorox is up there. Things that you can buy at the supermarket. And the supermarket itself is higher because uh, there's been a run on goods at the supermarkets. And so they're doing a pretty land office business. That's unfortunately, some of that is just kind of front running the, uh, the actual market. I mean, how much toilet paper do you need? Nobody's going to be, nobody's going to be buying toilet paper in a few, uh, in a few months because they, all the toilet paper will be in everybody's basement. So right now there's no place really to hide. Uh, so that's not, uh, there's there's no real safe area, as I say, you know, you've got 480 stocks in the S&P 500 that are down. Uh, there's probably some places that you could put money uh, if you, depending on how much nerve you have, but uh, I'm not sure that right now is the, the real time to do it. You're going to see, what, what you're going to see is I think we're going to go back and test that low uh, in the, uh, whatever, I think about 18,200. And when you think about it, you know, the Dow at that low point had lost uh, 11,000 points at 30 percent of its of its value. And uh, so I, I, we may see a retest of that low. Uh, Woody Vincent, when we look at the first quarter declines and stocks reaching their lowest points in years, um, one thing that comes to mind is this question, which is, is this simply because of coronavirus, or do you think that there were some underlying challenges in the market already, and coronavirus was more the impetus for bringing about a decline in the stock market that was going to happen at some point? I mean, we had an 11-plus year bull run. That was unprecedented in history. Yeah, nothing goes up forever, and that's, uh, that's typical. But uh, what is not typical is to have a 33% decline in the market, you know, 10, you know, when the market first got into correction territory and was down about 10%, well, I thought, you know, okay, let's see how this goes. And then within a matter of a couple of days, it was in bear market territory, down 20%. And then a few days later, it was down uh, 30%. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, in my own personal portfolio, I, I, I'm willing to live out a lot of stuff, and I'm still living out a lot of stuff. Fortunately, I have some cash that I can put to work later on, and hopefully a lot of people do. But, I mean, I found myself just hemorrhaging money, and uh, which is, uh, I, I don't know if I was the only person buying liquor. I see a lot of people are buying liquor, but I was buying as much as I'd get my hands on because it was kind of hard to, to go through the days. I think that the market was vulnerable, uh, that, you, you know, you were talking uh, – uh, lofty, uh, you know, maybe 18, I think, 18, 19 uh, P.E. ratio. And so that's that's up there. And so coming back down to a, a normalized 15 would have brought us down anyway to about the 24,000 level. So I thought that we were probably due for, you know, three or 4,000 points uh, of Dow loss, but I didn't think that we were certainly, uh, but, but absent the coronavirus, uh, and, and some of the consequences that you have uh, on that, uh, particularly in the energy industry, absent that, there's no way that you're going to lose 33% of the market value. And part of the problem that you have here that's uh, also killing the market is that nobody's driving, nobody's out on the streets, everybody's hunkered down, 
And uh, so uh, nobody's buying oil. I saw oil uh, oil yeah. was at twenty dollars today, but people are talking about it going to ten dollars. Ironically, one of the one of the areas where people were actually uh, uh, making some money, and I don't know if this will be short lived or not, but that is uh, uh, companies that own tankers. There's no place to put the oil, and so uh, tankers are sucking up as much as they possibly can. And so uh, I saw TK Shipping. That's a tanker tanker sure. company that uh, they were up. And I don't know. I've got a little. Uh, I've got an investment in, in, in a small little maritime company uh, that uh, has some tanker space. Woody, Woody Vincent, can yeah. I jump in again? We're talking with Woody Vincent, who's a veteran stock trader for the past three plus decades, joining us here on Jimmy at the Crossroads. Uh, let's. You mentioned oil, so let's just talk about that for a moment because we are seeing the lowest point for oil this week since. February of 2002. What has caused this significant decline in the price for a barrel of oil? Well, there's two things, really. Uh, lack of demand. Nobody's driving. Nobody's, uh, uh, I mean, uh, you know, cars eat up a, a, a huge amount of oil, uh, you know. And so nobody's driving around. The streets are empty. If, if you've been dr driving around, I went out to, I had to buy some food the other day. And, you know, it's like a ghost town if you go out driving. It's a really kind of amazing. So there's that lack of demand uh, on the automobile side. And then you also have this uh, really uh, ill-timed or horribly timed price war with the Russians and the Saudis. I think that we should uh, immediately just stop importing Saudi Arabian oil. Uh, just, just flat out say, we don't need it. Uh, we can't use it because uh, you know, we're gonna kill our own oil business if we're not careful. And that's not a real bright thing to do. But uh, so you you have a you have a glut of oil because the Saudis and the Russians are flooding the market, and then you have zero demand because nobody's filling up their tank. I mean, I got a quarter tank of gas in my car, and probably it'll probably last me till June. Uh, what even so? When we talk about the stock market declines, I mean, obviously no one can predict when we will reach a bottom. And this this is something that has is in every way it seems unpredictable. But given that unpredictability, given the volatility that we're seeing in markets right now, what do you think investors should keep in mind from a strategic standpoint? Well, you know, from a strategic standpoint, uh, you know, Warren Buffett has always said, any money that you're going to need in the next five years shouldn't be in the stock market. That's that's how it is. You need to have cash around to get through the day to day. You know, stock market, uh, you know, uh, five years from now, we'll probably look back at this and say it's no big deal. And so if you haven't sold, uh, then, uh, you know, you may as well just have to ride it out as, as far as where the market is going to go. Uh, you know, as I say, I think that 18, 18,000 handle probably gets retested. Not really sure what's going to change this market is uh, what happens to uh, with the uh, uh, the malarial, the anti-malarial cures or therapies that they have for the coronavirus. If those turn out to be successful, then I think the market takes off because now you can get people back to work, that you can treat the symptoms. You know, there's two types of viruses. There's, a, there's the viruses that uh, are like Ebola that actually destroy the host cell. And that's why where you melt down. And then there's the viruses that are like the common cold and coronavirus, which kill you because your immune system uh, kills you. Your immune system overreacts. Anti-malarials uh, are very, very good at suppressing the immune response. And so uh, I'm hoping that uh, we get some good answers, not just to bail out President Trump, but to bail out the rest of the country. Well, if I it turns out that you can take a tablet and it's going to help you and it's going to keep that immune system from killing yourself, then I think the market takes off because then people will say, hey, we have a solution. So there are a lot of folks in the media and some Democrat governors, for example, the governor of Michigan saying, that's Governor Whitmer, I think, she's saying, no, you're not allowed to prescribe this. It is a, a penalty. It is against the law for a physician to prescribe this potential treatment. Now, as Dr. Fauci has said, they need to test this out and make sure that it does work and have their clinical trials. But it's something that we know is a drug that, if prescribed by a physician, can be done safely. And so the big question is, 
not just the safety aspect, which we already know from experience because of treating malaria and other illnesses for decades, but it's, is this effective? And, and it goes to one of the points that I've been making, and yesterday we talked about this on the show, is the idea that the FDA should be focused more on approving drugs for safety, not so much for efficacy, and allow doctors, allow physicians in concert with their patients to make these decisions without the government getting in the way. Well, I, I think that's 100% right. You're, you're dead on on that. Uh, you know, e efficacy is, uh, I think that everything should be given a numerical score, that you should be able to say, well, this, this drug helped 98% of its patients, or this drug helped 75% uh, or 50%. You know, the, the FDA doesn't want people selling snake oil, let's face it. They don't want people, I remember when Steve McQueen died, he was down in Mexico taking Laetrile, and he was hoping that would cure him for cancer, and that was just a false hope. On the other hand, as I, you know, if something is 80% effective, I mean, would you not take it if you're on your deathbed? Are you out of your mind? Of course you'd take it. Uh, I mean, I've got a little head cold right now. I'm hoping it's not coronavirus. You never know because, you know, you get head colds. I'm not going to run off to the emergency room every time that I get the sniffles. But uh, I'd say they ought to be they ought to be giving it. And I think and I don't know how the study is being are, are being done. They, they should not just be giving it to people who are at death's door because they may already be too far gone. You should take the people who are coming in who test positive. Let's see if this uh, takes their symptoms down. Yeah. yeah, I think the efficacy requirement is insane. And if you take a look at the, uh, the, the, the chloroquine and the uh, hydroxychloroquine compounds, they have been uh, prescribed to people since 1947. It's, it's not like this stuff just, you know, that they just developed it last week. So they already know what the uh, side effects are. Most of these side effects are actually pretty minor. It's a lot of itching is my understanding. And why not give it to people? Uh, the, uh, my my regimen on that would be, boy, if you test positive, we're going to give you a packet of pills. Sure. It's uh, it's about a six-day uh, regimen, and we'll see if this takes care of the problem. That That's what I'd be doing. Uh, and what I think that – Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go, go ahead. Finish your point. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, uh, you know that – governments around the world think that it works. And the reason they think it works, or the reason you know that, is because they are now banning the export of the stuff. Mm. And and that idiot uh, governor in uh, in Michigan and the, the other goofball in uh, Sisolak in, in Nevada, I think that's totally irresponsible. The nice thing is the FDA has now approved those, and I understand that uh, Governor Whitmer in Michigan has rescinded her order, that now you can give it oh, because okay. the FDA is free life of war. Let's, let's not be dumb here. If that's the case, then I, I missed that, and good. She should have never done it in the first place. But, of course, clinical studies need to be conducted as well. They are being conducted, as I understand it. And uh, you know, it, it, is, it is important to keep that in mind. And talk with your physician, too, before you embark on any sort of treatment like this. Okay, Woody Vincent, veteran stock trader, our guest for the past over 30 years as a stock trader. Uh, let me ask you one more question. I know you touched on this before when we started our conversation, but what are some of the stocks or industries that you're particularly monitoring during this time that may be benefiting? Well, uh, I think that uh, I would not chase the, uh, the food stores. I wouldn't chase Target and Walmart and Kroger. I think that that'll, that'll come down. Uh, and can I make one point know, on those companies, like, Woody? I'm sorry. One me? thing that, that, uh, that I'm no I've noted is that the higher ticket goods that they usually sell at Walmart and Target are not what they're selling so much. Much more it is the food and the paper products and cleaning solution and medic medications, not those higher dollar things they like to sell. Well, sure. Uh, and uh, as I say, people can only stock up on so much Clorox. Yeah. And uh, depending on... Uh, on where we're at. This is a day-by-day -day thing. You know, what I would really look at is, uh, unless you believe that the major airlines are going to go broke, uh, they're all selling for, you know, 50 cents on the dollar at the most. I mean, American Airlines, I saw this morning, was 11 bucks, I think down from 33 or something like that. Maybe I might, might have that wrong. So the major airlines, I, I would say, if, if you, if you want to put some money to work, I'd, I'd tiptoe into those, and also the financials. Uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they are definitely selling for 50 cents on the dollar. Banks aren't going to go out of business. I mean, that's that's just not going to, you know, some little banks might go out of business, but the big ones are not going to go out of business. And if you want to look at the oil companies, I would not invest in any uh, any of the drillers or any of those because they could really, they could actually go down. Uh, but uh, the major integrateds, 
which make money uh, on the refining and everything else, the Exxons, the Chevrons, uh, Royal Dutch, those are probably areas where you might, if you want, if you want to put some money to work here, maybe not today, but uh, those are they those should be on your shopping list. And of course, as I always like to point out, talk with a financial advisor before you make decisions. But some good yeah, starting points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because good starting points for investigation are what I look like to look at uh, guys like Woody Vincent or Mark D. Cook or uh, ladies like Krista Huff. You're on. Jimmy at the crossroads. So, Woody, uh, a final word for us on the stock market before we cut you loose, my friend. Well, uh, don't panic. If you didn't sell early, uh, don't sell late. And, uh, you know, ride it out. Uh, uh, things will get better. We will find a cure uh, for this, and that'll put people back to work. But, uh, you know, the numbers are staggering. The estimate from the Federal Reserve, 47 million people out of work. That makes the Great Depression look like, a, you know, a walk through the park. So, don't panic. But Depending on how long it lasts would make the exactly. Great Depression look exactly. like a walk in the park. So I don't think we're headed in that direction for the long run, but we'll have to see. Woody Vincent, veteran stock trader for more than three decades. Check out his book, What's in a Name? It is on Amazon, so be sure to do that. Woody Vincent, my friend, good to talk with you. Thanks for your insights today. Good to see you, Jimmy. Take care. Once again, Woody Vincent, been in the stock trading world for over Three decades. And like me, as I mentioned before, has hosted Business for Breakfast, a show that had a few different incarnations, most recently yours truly, in Colorado on the radio. Boy, time flies when you're having fun. My thanks to Anthony Leonardi from the Washington Examiner, breaking news reporter there, as well as Mark Lauder, Strategic Communications Director for the Trump 2020 re-election campaign, and of course, Woody Vincent right there joining us to share his insights and expertise on what's happening in the stock market. That is it for us today, but the next few days, we've got a lot coming up, and I'm looking forward to it. On Friday, we should be joined by Michael Barone of the Washington Examiner. We will talk with Sidney Powell, who I believe is still the attorney for Michael Flynn. She's got a new book out. We will talk to her about that. Richard Lorick from... The Foundation for Economic Education will join us on Friday about a new study they came out with about millennials, and it's going to be fascinating to talk with them. So, so many things coming up on Jimmy at the Crossroads, and that is indeed it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us, being a part of the program. Once again, we will be back tomorrow. Great job to Nathan Matouche, our producer, working the Matouche Magic. Appreciate our guests, appreciate our partner, the Washington Examiner, and so much more. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe, stay well, stay sound, and we'll see you on the next Jimmy at the Crossroads. Have a great day, and as always, may God bless America.